Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick. I am one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and I have the privilege of opening up and preaching the Word of God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And Luke 15 actually is quite possibly one of the most well-known and loved chapters in all of the Bible. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal or lost son. But really, these chapters actually highlight not necessarily the things that are lost, but the one who is finding. And so as you read through Luke chapter 15, you end up seeing a shepherd who is willing to leave 99 and to go and to find one, a persistent widow who gets on her knees and lights a lamp to find her one lost coin, and a forgiving father who is pleased to forgive and embrace back his lost son. But I wonder if you've ever actually realized that these parables, this one big parable, is not just a story of of unbelievers or you at one point in your life, but rather that this is a story for all of us. It's, It's our story. And Jesus gives this parable in particular of the lost son or the prodigal son. He does it to show us what God is willing to do with people like you and me. So I want to read this passage of Scripture for us here in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Here Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, he saw, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father God, we're so very grateful for your word. We're so very grateful that oftentimes your word gives us what we don't even know we need. And so we pray for that this morning, that you would use this word as an encouragement to us that you would use this word to instill within us hope and peace, that you would remind us that you are the good Father who seeks lost things. Oh Lord, we pray most of all that we would have reason to rejoice with heaven this morning, that you would use this word to draw an unbeliever to yourself, that they might know you for the first time ever, and then we might be able to celebrate and give glory to you alone. Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray that you would be with us, that you would fill us with your spirit now and that you would use this word for our good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I have two points for us this morning. The first is this, the Lord takes great joy in finding that which was hopelessly lost. So an important point of this parable in particular, as you think about the sheep and the coin, is that unlike those two things where the sheep wanders off and the coin merely rolls away, this son, he desires to be lost. As we make our way through Luke chapter 15, we feel sorrow for this sheep that likely is not very smart. We pity the woman who has lost her money. But when we get to the son, it brings us sorrow because we are witnessing the breaking of a relationship. And as we read through this, we understand that this son doesn't want to be where he is. In fact, you can see all of that. You can deduce every bit of that from the fact that he asks for his inheritance before his father is even dead. You don't receive an inheritance when someone is still living. You receive it once they have died. And this young man has the audacity to go to his father and ask his father to give him what he is owed. And so it is obviously clear that this young man not only hates his father, but he hates his father's household. He takes everything that he has, all of his inheritance, and obviously he liquidates it and he goes into a far-off country. And what we're supposed to see in all of these actions is that this young man, his greatest problem is that his desire, his greatest desire, his greatest pursuit in life is simply this, himself. 
And so he takes all of these things and he makes his way into a far-off country where he's going to be fulfilled. He will finally be satisfied. He will not be under the authority of his father any longer. He won't have to be with his insufferable older brother. He'll take his money and he will go and live like a king. And that's exactly what he does for a very short period of time. And then, in the midst of his kingly estate, he runs out of money and a famine arises. And he learns a really hard lesson. This didn't produce the results I hoped for. This didn't give me what I thought I would get out of this. He, he loses everything. He has no food. And most importantly, he's lost his father. The, the one person in his life that in a situation like this, technically he could go to, he doesn't even have that anymore. And, and the lesson that he learns and the lesson that we're supposed to see is that sin never gives. Sin never gives. It only ever takes. The, the reality is, is what sin does, as, 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 as you embrace your sin, sin begins to create an insatiable desire within you for more sin, better sin, greater sin. But the reality is, is in our blindness, what we don't realize is we're not getting more and better and greater sin. We're actually losing more and more and more of who we are and what we have. Sin never gives you more. It never builds you up. It only ever takes away. And often it takes circumstances like this or a long life lived to realize that you can turn around and look and your sin has never produced one good thing in your entire life. In fact, it has only taken not only what wasn't it, it sins in the first place, but all that was as well. It takes everything. It corrodes everything. But verse 17 gives us the first glimmer of hope. The Bible tells us that the young man, the lost son, came to himself. I, I don't really think that this was an epiphany of sorts. I don't think that he had some sort of divine revelation per se. I think what happened was actually much more simple than that. As he was amongst the pigs, longing to eat what they were eating, he remembered the goodness of his father. This son has taken his father's love and his father's goodness, and his father's kindness, and he has abused it. He, he took it into a far-off country, and he squandered it. This was everything that his father had worked for his entire life, and he took it into a far-off country, and he ruined it. And yet, the thing that we end up learning is that even though he squandered his father's love, his father's love remained. His father's love, the father's love for his son, went nowhere. It wasn't wrapped up in the things that he took. And at just the right moment, the way in which the father loved his son 
called him home. In a far off country, holding a bucket of pig slop. You know, this is the beauty of the incarnation. As we are making our way to Christmas and to celebrating the birth of Christ and celebrating the fact that God himself, Jesus Christ, came, he condescended onto the earth, fully God, and took on flesh and became fully man. As we celebrate this beautiful truth and as we make our way through this story, we understand the incarnation and the beauty of it because Jesus came into this world. He came down onto the earth, not simply to make his way to a cross, but to gather lost sheep, lost coins, and lost sons and daughters. Jesus didn't just come and go directly to a cross. He lived a life. And the life that he lived was in pursuit of people like you and me. You do understand that Jesus Christ is the love of God in the flesh. When we say that the love of God went into a far-off country to pursue a lost son, we're talking about us. Jesus came into this place to pursue us. He came to reveal the love of God the Father to us. And He came in that love to draw us home at exactly the right time. One of the things that I, I mean, I feel like maybe we just naturally believe this to be true. I mean, at least I believe it to be true of me. Maybe you don't, but I'll tell you anyway. So often we think, you know, you can't like come to the Lord if you're at like the bottom. Jesus can't be your last resort. Like that's, that's not fair. You don't have any other option. You need to be like two steps above the bottom so you still have options to rebel. <laughs> then you can come to the Lord. That's the dumbest thing ever. You understand that this lost son is in a pig pen holding a bucket of slop and that is the very moment that the love of his father captures him. Listen, most often, maybe for all of us, the moment that the Lord drew us to himself, the moment that we came to him was actually the very bottom. It was at the moment where we felt least worthy to come to him that that is the very time that he drew us to himself. We, we, we don't have to be a certain amount of clean before we can come to the Lord. Oftentimes, it's when you have no other option that you realize, I am already dead to the world. And so I might as well go ahead and die to the world and live unto Christ. But what does this father do with this son? Does he scorn him? Does he make him clean up first? I mean, let's just go ahead and throw it out there. He came from a pigsty. He's not going to smell great. Quite literally, you may want him to take a bath. 
No, better yet, maybe what he does is he says, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Um, you are, you're going to go through a period of probation, and I'm going to test you to see whether or not this is true. Because you don't get to take my stuff into a far-off country, lose all of it, and then come crawling back to me. I don't know, that's probably what I'd say to one of my children, I guess. We'll see. We'll see. No, what this father does is he runs and he meets his son with unmerited grace. Verses 22 through 24, in fact, Jesus tells us this. The father said to his servants, let me, can I just reset the scene? The guy came out of a pigsty, he smells horrible, he's just wasted a third of everything you've worked for in your whole life, and he has just come groveling back to you, and this is what the father says. This is what he says. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us celebrate and eat. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. You know, as a preacher, there are often times where you're like, maybe we should just end the sermon there. Like, I, what can you say? And this is one of those moments. What, what more do you add to verses 22 and, and 24? I mean, in fact, just, just for a moment, take just a moment to let that sink into you. That this son who has wasted and squandered everything is simply met by his father and clothed in his robe and celebrated. The lost son is treated like that. What Jesus is doing is he is showing us the love that God has for sinners and the joy that the Father has when he receives them back home. This son's repentance is met immediately with a full pardon. Immediately. There are no stipulations. There are no moments of testing, full and immediate pardon. But I want you to note something about his repentance, because that's another thing I think sometimes we like have this like mathematic formula for what repentance is, what it isn't, how just precisely to do it. I want you to understand that all that this son did was he went to his father and he didn't plea on the basis of his sonship. He simply said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you treat me as a servant. He threw himself at the mercy of the Father. That's it. He didn't confess his sins in just the right way or just the right order. He didn't forget some and make others sound more awful than they were. He didn't whisper the ones that were really bad and, and say very loudly the things that weren't. He simply ran to his father. Actually, that's not true. 
his father ran to him, and he said, I've sinned, here I am. You know, praise God that that is true. Praise God that that is true. Because like I said in the beginning, what I want you to realize is that this is not just who you once were. It's not just who I once was. It's who I'm tempted to be every day of my life. You know, I have a, um, a very fluffy youngest child. He's very cute, and he's very fat, <laughs> and we love him. And as the fourth, you basically there are no rules, right? You like, I, I mean, he's just awesome. But that little punk just recently has started m maybe one of the most infuriating things. Uh, we'll sit him in his high chair, and he'll be smiling, and you'll go up, and you're like, hey, Knox, like, how are you doing, buddy? He'll maybe laugh and smile, and then you'll be like, hey, here's, here's a potato chip, or here's candy. I don't know. Like, here's $100, whatever it is, something awesome. And he, like, crunches up his face, lowers his eyebrows, and he just does this. And then he just stays in that position for, like, 45 minutes. And I'm just thinking, what is wrong with you? I'm just trying to love you. <laughs> and he tries to flee. He tries to flee from me. And the reality is, is that we all know what that is like. We are all well acquainted with what it means in our stubbornness to try to flee into a far country and exchange God's good things for pig slop. The temptation that the lost son, the prodigal son faced is not a temptation that dies easily. On this side of heaven, if ever. We all find moments where we take the good things that God has given us into a far country and we squander them. We abuse them. I mean, just think over the past couple of years. Just the temptation to give up this. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need this. I don't know about you, but most often all of the world, all that the world gives me is depression. It, it makes me sad. It, it, it tempts me and tries to ensnare me in the ways of the world. And, and often there is nothing throughout the week that is drawing me back to my good father. And so we take God's common means of grace of just calling the church together and we, we squander it. We, we give it up for pig slop. 
maybe, maybe right now you, the God has, God has given you a wonderful young man or a young woman that you might marry someday. And, and at this moment, maybe this past week, you were sleeping with that person. Maybe God has gifted you in amazing ways. Maybe a beautiful voice or to play an instrument. And you withhold those things from serving your church. And then for all of us, God has equipped us in one way or another to serve the body, and yet we don't. Because this is the temptation that we all face. Taking the good things, taking God's grace, taking His goodness which He lavishes upon us, and wanting it to all be about me. Listen, the prodigal son tried that. He tried it, and it was miserable. And at the end of his time, he had nothing. You, you see, the funny thing about my son when he turns away is that every time he turns back his head, I'm still standing there. I haven't gone anywhere. And in his mind, he thinks, uh, you know what, I got away from dad this time. No, you didn't. I'm still here. God does not forsake us simply because we have moments of stubbornness. And praise him for that. Praise Him for that. Because do you know what that means for us, believer? And for you too, unbeliever? It means that because God loves us, He waits for us to turn back to Him. And when we do turn back to Him, He is ready to embrace us with open arms. The good news about all of the ways in which we are stubborn, all of the ways in which we are tempted to squander and and abuse the good things that God has given us is that when we realize we're doing it, God is pleased to let us turn back to Him and say, I am sorry. And do you know what we receive? Full and immediate pardon. Full and immediate pardon. And for those of us who are in Christ, it is ours for ever. And so you will have moments, you will have seasons where you turn away from the Father and live for you, but the good news is you can turn back. Not when you've been to church a few more times, not when you kind of have gotten your life back on track, when the bucket of slop is in your hand, you can turn. You can drop it and you can run. And the, the beauty of it all is that the Father will run to you. At the deepest pit of conviction, you can turn. And God will be pleased to receive you. So what we learn is that it wasn't just the riches of the Father that brought the Son fulfillment. In fact, it wasn't that at all. It was the Father. What the lost son never realized was that the most fulfilling thing in his life 
was not the things he thought he needed, but the thing that he had. It was the presence of his father that satisfied, that gave him everything he needed, that fulfilled every longing that he didn't even know he had. But this is not just a story about one son. It's a story about two. The second point is this. Those who have no need for forgiveness don't understand grace. You see, the mistake that the lost son made was thinking that he had a right to his father's riches. He believed, because I am the son of this father, that all that is his is mine. And in fact, better than that, it's mine now. But the older son made a mistake as well. And really, in many ways, it's a worse mistake. He didn't believe that he had a right to his father's riches. He believed he had a right to his father's grace. You know, nobody understands this point Nobody could understand this parable more than the Apostle Paul. Saul, the enemy of the church, the captor of Christians, arrested and captivated on the Damascus Road. When when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he told them, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What Paul understood better than anybody is that you are nothing without the grace of God. In fact, without God's grace, you are His enemy. You pursue Him to destroy Him. But what Paul learned on the road to Damascus, and I'm sure what became sweeter and sweeter and sweeter to him as he lived out his days on earth, is this, that it's actually your unworthiness that qualifies you for the grace of God. It's not whether you stay at home and be a good boy or a good girl. It's the very fact that you're unworthy that merits you for the undeserved grace That God bestows upon you. What this father was telling his son when he came out to him as he was throwing his pity party and pouting was, listen, your brother was lost. In fact, he was as good as dead and he's here and it's a cause to celebrate because what was dead is alive and what was lost is now found. That is grace. And it brings God and all of heaven great joy when dead things are brought back to life and when lost things are found. But to those who don't need forgiveness, they don't understand. You see, sometimes what needs to happen is you actually need to realize You have nowhere else to go.
you have nothing left to plead. The lost son knew, he knew without a doubt, if he was to go back to his father and say, hey dad, your son's home, things likely would have not been the same. He came and said, oh father, I have sinned. Treat me as a slave. And his father simply said, absolutely not. Get the robe. Get the shoes. Get the ring. Get the calf. Let's party. One thing that's important to know about this parable is that really there's an audience of two. There are in, in um, verse, well, excuse me, verses 1 and 2, the tax collectors and sinners, but then in verse 2 in particular, the Pharisees and the scribes. What Jesus is trying to inform them of with a parable, which means that he never just comes out and says straightforward, hey, um, your self-righteousness has blinded you. So he's using a parable to, to tell them, hey, your self-righteousness has blinded you. He's trying to get them to see that the only need they have is a gracious, good, loving Father. Your works are hay and stubble. They mean nothing. Your position in society, your position in your religion or your faith or your church, in fact, those things, while they can be good and well, they mean nothing in terms of whether you are righteous before a holy God. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, I want you to understand that you will only remain standing if you are standing on Christ's righteousness alone. Your only plea will be Jesus. You will only get to say, God, here I am because of Christ. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to claim for myself but what Christ has done for someone like me. A sinner, simply saved by grace. As we read about the lost son and as Jesus tells this parable, Two different times he tells us that the father finds great joy in the dead being made alive and the lost being found. Twice in these few verses. And I want you to understand that he tells us that twice, not just so we would know, but so we would be invited to come and experience this for ourselves. This is not just a parable given for greater knowledge. It's a parable that's given as an invitation to give your sin to Him and to receive the, per the forgiveness that He purchased for you. In fact, Jesus is calling everyone, all of us in this room as we can hear this, and all who will ever read this parable, He is calling them to come unworthy and be given grace. To come unworthy and to be given 
Grace unmerited. I want to end with this. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Unbeliever, if I could have you know one thing this morning, it would be this. The Lord already knows you. He already sees you. And He already knows what you've done. And He already knows what you will do. This man was born a baby to come and receive sinners and eat with them. He sees you and He came for people just like you and just like me. Confess your sin. Lay all of it down and run to Jesus. And I promise you this. He will greet you with open arms. Because if God wants us to know one thing about Himself from this passage, it's this. He is the joyous finder of lost, broken, destitute, pig-slop-holding people. Run to Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this time. Uh, Father, I pray that You would use this Word. In spite of anything that I have said, Father, use Your Word powerfully and mighty. Father, in ways that we can't even speak or fathom, use it for your glory. Use it to exalt your son, Jesus, and use it to save lost sinners. Use it to turn the heads of your sons and daughters. Father, use this text to unite us with you, to run to you and be embraced in your arms, by your goodness and in your grace. Father, be glorified. Be glorified. Amen.